Hello and welcome to the Codex Prime Podcast. We are on episode 345 and it is Tuesday, uh, November 14th, 2023. I'm your host, Victor Omoyo, and with me as always is my co-host and social media chair, Carl Bird. What's happening, everybody? That's right. And joining us live in the Codex Prime Zoom studios, we have a very special guest. He is the founder of New England Championship Wrestling, and he is the author of the new novel called The Last Fall. Uh, party people, please welcome Mr. Sheldon Goldberg. Hey there. Hey, how's it? How's it's it? nice to be here. Thank you, guys. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, thank you for uh, for coming on to our our podcast. Uh, you know, just to you know talk a bit about your work, a bit maybe a bit about wrestling, and uh, yeah, we'll see where the conversation uh, takes us. Yeah. Anything you want to talk about? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And as uh, and as Carl is sharing the episode uh, across Facebook uh, before we begin, I uh, just want to give a quick shout out to all of our uh, all of our uh, 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 listeners, our audience members, our fans. You know, thank you for watching our show um, uh, every Tuesday night on Facebook uh, Facebook Live around 8 p.m. Eastern, and also listening to us on on your on your favorite uh, podcasting platforms, be it Spotify, SoundCloud, uh, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, uh, wherever you listen to podcasts, you can find uh, Codex Prime where we you know just chop it up every week you know talking talking like nerd culture a bit of wrestling a bit of film a uh, bit of everything in between so uh so yeah we, once again we thank you all for for joining us on this journey 345 episodes in uh wow it's it's it's, it's kind of it's kind, it's kind of surreal just just saying that out loud but uh but here we are um but yeah uh let's uh but yeah while while carl's sharing the episode uh, I'll, I'll, I'll kick off the conversation uh so, uh, uh, Mr. Goldberg, uh, you know, talk, talk, talk to a bit about us, about your humble beginnings. Like, uh, you know, um, you know, where, where are you from and like, how did you get into, uh, professional wrestling or rather like, where did your love for professional wrestling begin? Okay. Well, that, that, that covers a lot of territory right there. First of all, I just want to say thank you guys for having me on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, uh, I've been looking forward to this and 325 episodes, man, that's, Hats off to you guys. Thank you. Now, we're going to have a tip it to you. But anyway, uh, so to answer your question, um, I, I've been a wrestling fan since I was probably about eight years old. That was back in the, uh, the 1960s, believe it or not. And so, uh, you know, I've been through the era of Bruno San Martino and Pedro Morales and all of that. And, uh, you know, I, I never thought that I would get involved in wrestling as a, you know, professionally in terms of being a promoter or, or having any professional involvement with it whatsoever. But uh, my my professional path crossed with pro wrestling in, in a couple of ways. But before I got involved in wrestling, I was involved in professional theater. I uh, did publicity for Broadway shows on tour, and I produced plays. So uh, I had a theatrical background, and um, I'm from Boston. That's where I'm from, and uh, that's where I've grown up, and, and, and that's where I've done the majority of my work. And so uh, in uh, the Boston Theater District, there was this uh, place right down the street from where I was working. I was working at a place called the Colonial Theater. I actually worked in pretty much all the major theaters in Boston at one time or another, but uh, I was working at the Colonial Theater, and right down the street from the Colonial Theater was this building called the Steinert Piano Building. 
They mm-hmm. sold pianos. They had a big showroom on the first floor. And up above, they had an elevator with an actually a human elevator operator. It was the last building in the city of Boston to have a human elevator operator. Mm-hmm. And uh, you went up to the, the top, and they had a, a series of little rooms up there where you know they'd have people giving piano lessons and people giving voice lessons and people giving you know uh, violin lessons etc and at the very end of that hallway was a little office and a gentleman worked in that office by the name of abe ford and abe ford was the local promoter for the worldwide wrestling federation uh from in the in the late 60s through the early 70s and uh uh, I got to know Abe Ford just because I was a wrestling fan. You know, uh, Abe, Abe, they used to send out programs every month. If you got on the mailing list, you could write to Abe Ford's office and get on the mailing list, and they'd send you the the program every month. And uh, Abe had a little, they had a little cartoon of Abe in the in the program, so I knew what he looked like, and I introduced myself to him, and I, I got him, you know, uh, free tickets to to theater at some different times we got a chance to know each other a little bit but I, I i didn't really have any any thought about getting involved in pro wrestling at all then uh, in the 80s um the the theater business started to change the economics of it started to change and 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 you know my career as a producer was getting more and more difficult because it was more about raising the money than actually producing anything. So I decided to uh, back off a little bit and do things that made me happy and pursue some hobbies. And one of them was I started publishing a a newsletter for collectors of wrestling memorabilia. It was called Matt Marketplace. I made a whole lot of contacts through that. Some people that I had known when I was just a fan, you know, trading, uh, you know, pen pal letters and, you know, pictures and programs and clippings and stuff with those folks and uh, slowly but surely, I got involved in pro wrestling. I met a guy uh, in New York in 1990 who had actually grown up just a, uh, just less than a mile from where I lived named Tony Rumble. And uh, he was a local promoter around here. And uh, uh, I started going to his shows and helping him out and so forth. And then uh, after he passed away in November of 1999, I started New England Championship Wrestling. And did that for about 20 years. And uh, now, uh, thanks to the pandemic and uh, uh, some health issues, I'm uh, not really producing any live events at this point, but uh, doing other projects like a novel. And I've got a video project we're going to be doing early next year uh, called New England Championship Wrestling, The Lost Matches Live, which I'll expand upon a little bit later. And and, uh, that's what's going on. So what, so what was your, your first pro wrestling event, if you can remember? Um, oh, yeah. It was, uh, I want to say maybe 1967, 68. It was in the Boston Garden. Ooh. And the main event was Bruno San Martino versus Gorilla Monsoon. Wow. It was billed as the match of the century. And on that, this particular night, the ring broke. Oh, and it was like a big shock to everybody in the building because, you know, when you're a kid, you're watching wrestling. I'm about maybe you know 12 years old, 13 years old, and I'm I'm like, holy moly, this is uh, that can't be faked, you know. This has got to be this got to be the real deal. 
Bruno had a, a, a particular aura about him that made him just larger than life. And just like, you know, you, you looked at that classic picture of Bruno San Martino in the magazines, you know, with that, 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 you know, pose like a, like a bear wearing the championship belt. And you, that's the world champion. That was, you know, he was the man. And, uh, you have to live through that era to really appreciate how big a star and how big an icon Bruno San Martino really was. But that was my first experience with pro wrestling. Fell in love with it from there on. Yeah. And um, so, okay, and the first promotion that you worked for before you started uh, New England Championship Wrestling? I worked with Tony Rumble on uh, Tony. on uh, Century Wrestling Alliance, which later became NWA New England. Oh, okay. I didn't even and know. after his passing, I started New England Championship Wrestling. All right. And um, so I know, actually, yeah, because my questions are kind of like all over the place. <laughs> um, no worries. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, your first, that was your first promotion. Yeah. So um, now you've been around like, so much talent throughout your career like who would you say were some of your like favorite New England wrestlers wow uh, I'd say uh, DC Dillinger the Golden Greek Alex Arion Maverick Wild I mean, a lot of these guys are the mass hall Mike McCarthy who's still wrestling now uh, Total Loco I mean, some of these guys won't, won't mean much of anything to people outside of New England, but NECW was really kind of a unique promotion because we came along at a time when, you know, uh, independent wrestling was just kind of really getting its feet under it and really just getting started. It was still a very, very new thing. And, and part of, of my challenge as a promoter was not just putting on shows, but getting people to think that this was an okay thing to come to see. Right. Because, you know, Boston's a pretty big market. We've got the Boston Red Sox and you know, the Patriots and the Celtics and the Bruins. And, you know, these are some of the biggest franchises in, in all of professional sports. So to be running a little wrestling company that you want to get people to come to every, every week or every month, you know, that, that's not as easy a task as it may sound. It took a lot of grassroots marketing over time. But we were very, very fortunate because we came along at a time when, as I say, independent wrestling was, was fairly new, at least this era of independent wrestling. And a lot of folks who later became very big stars would come through our company because it was a place that they could go to get exposure. I mean, we had everybody in our company from John Cena, Kofi mm -hmm. Kingston, uh, Doug Williams had his first match in America. In NECW, Sumi Sakai had her first match in America. Uh, the artist formerly known as Sasha Banks had her first professional match in New England Championship Wrestling. Becky Lynch had her first match in America wow. in New England Championship Wrestling. So there's a lot of folks who came through NECW who went on to... Uh, as they say, bigger and better things. Right. Yeah. And um, so I know I know that uh, Killer Kowalski, who was a trainer and who's been in the Massachusetts uh, area. I actually uh, did train years ago under Brutal Bob Evans, and I was around. I was training when he passed away. So what would you say? Like, what was what was uh, Killer Kowalski's influence, at least to you, uh, in the New England uh, independent scene? 
Well, he's the godfather of independent wrestling in New England. Mm. I mean, all things came from Killer Kowalski. I mean, he was one of the first, first of all, Kowalski was one of the biggest stars of all time. Right. He was one of the, the five greatest wrestling heels in, in, in wrestling history still today. I mean, that, that name alone, I mean, that name is synonymous with professional wrestling. You can't hear the name Killer Kowalski and not think of professional wrestling. Correct. Um, he started his school in the late 70s after he retired. And he was one of the first people that had a school that was widely publicized. Prior to that, if you wanted to get into professional wrestling, you either had to know somebody or you had to be recruited into it. And Kowalski was one of the first people that had a school that, that had gotten mainstream publicity and, um, you know, uh, the local TV stations and newspapers would do, you know, uh, a story or so every year about his school. And so uh, he, he got his school because he was so well known the school became well-known by association. So uh, when I came along and I started promoting, Walter had pretty much, he was, he was a senior citizen by that point. Right. And he was, you know, really getting on in years. And, and um, you know, there were a couple of small promotions that were operating, but nothing really quite like what we were doing. And, uh, you know, it was just sort of a natural progression of things. But everybody who promotes wrestling, in this area as an independent owes something to Walter Killer Kowalski. Gotcha. Right. Now, uh, throughout the tenure, throughout your tenure at, um, NECW, you had the, um, the iron eight championship tournament tournament. So for those who don't know, uh, how, can you explain what was that and how did that come to be? Sure. Um, we were looking for a signature event. Like WWE has like the Royal Rumble and sort of Ivor series and so forth. We were looking to create a signature event that we could, you know, take our booking to certain a certain high point and then, you know, go from there. So at uh, one of our anniversary shows, we did a, a four-way 45-minute Ironman match as the main event. And it got over so well that I thought to myself that this might be something that we could spin into an annual event in a, a tournament format. So that's what we did. The following year, we, we created, I created the Iron 8 Championship Tournament, which is a series of four singles matches with the winners going on to face each other in a four-way 45-minute Ironman match. And the winner of that becomes that year's Iron 8 champion. So that was the genesis of the Iron 8. All right. And what about the uh, Toxic Waltz? Would that be uh, same, pretty much the same story, but like your SummerSlam, your second, your secondary uh, show? Exactly. Exactly. I, I was uh, at that time working with uh, uh, some guys that had a promotion called PWF. And that was their signature event. And we had merged together for a while. So we just combined those uh, those events into the New England Championship Wrestling umbrella and used them precisely like you would use a, a Royal Rumble or a Survivor Series. Okay. So what's your opinion on the current state of New England uh, independent wrestling? 
Well, in the last several years since I, I since I promoted my last show, it, it's changed quite a bit. There are a lot of little groups that have popped up. Uh, there's a lot of sameness among all of them. You see a lot of the same talent working on a lot of these shows, and the shows are more territorial by town mm. than they used to be. You know, when I was promoting, we were trying to run a, a number of towns. We were trying to run, you know, we called ourselves New England Championship Wrestling, and our, our goal was to run New England, all of New England. Um, that was easier said than done because it, it, it's hard to, to be on the scene in a lot of towns over a wide geographic area, you need local promoters in those different spots and local promoters were really, really hard to come by. But currently uh, the scene is pretty healthy. There's a lot of groups around. Uh, they seem to be doing business. I, I, I go to uh, a couple of different local shows every now and then uh, there, there's some good talent in the area. Uh, I do think that some of the promotions do suffer from, from a sameness of talent. You know, you, you, you might see a, a company that's running in one town and they're doing really well, but then there's another group running in another town and they're doing well too, but it's basically the same card, the same matches, the same people. It's just jumbled up in different combinations. So, so there's a lack of creativity in terms of the booking and in terms of talent and so forth. But, you know, the, the, the scene is probably healthier than it was when I, I certainly, that was certainly healthier than it was than I started because the idea of independent wrestling is a lot more established than it was when I started. Right. So do you have any current favorites at all in the New England area? Uh, there's a lot of good ones. You know, there's a kid named Channing Thomas who's really, really good. Uh, he's, uh, got the size, he's got the work, um, you know, he's a, a good talent. I think that, uh, you know, good things could happen to him. I, I, I saw uh, a number of talents, uh, this past Saturday night at a promotion called Focus Pro Wrestling, uh, that were really good, a kid named Brad Cashew. Um, there was a kid who, uh, his gimmick was Dream Crusher. I thought he was very good. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's, there's people out there, um, that are doing good things. So, you know, um, it's a different scene now than it was, you know, five years ago, seven, seven years ago, but it's not different in a negative way. It's different in a positive way because there's more opportunities to work. Um, it's just a little bit more difficult to distinguish oneself um, over everybody else. Right. That's the real challenge. Cool. Yeah. So when a so when a local talent comes to you and asks to uh, like say back in those days they wanted to hey can I, how can I get on the card? What was something that you would always like to ask them to like send you or what would you look for in a in a talent where they say where you would say okay I can make some money with this kid? Uh, what? Yeah. Like how like how would you evaluate that? We would need to see bell-to-bell matches. Okay. Um, we'd need promos because we were doing TV. So promos were very important. What we wanted to do is create a platform where these these talents could really show what they could do, not just in the ring but on the mic. And, and we were about telling stories. 
So if you were a personality that, that could get over as a personality, you had a leg up on guys whose work was strong, but uh, they maybe didn't have the same kind of charisma that uh, some others did. Definitely. So um, tell us, some, what were some of your uh, favorite matches throughout your career that you actually look back and say, you know what, that was a good match. Like, go through your library and you just want to watch again. Oh, wow. Well, I'll tell you, there's an easy way to, to see that. If you go on our YouTube channel, mm -hmm. which is NECW Wrestling, two W's there, uh, there's a playlist. There are actually two playlists up there in our channel. One is called the NECW 20th Anniversary Collection, which is 20 matches that summarize 20 years of New England Championship Wrestling. Oh, okay. And, and the other playlist is called NECW Legendary, mm. which is a, a series of matches and promos and things from the period just before we had our first run on television. Uh, we were doing sort of online TV. We were doing internet uh, shows. And uh, there's a lot of good stuff in there, a lot of stars before they became famous. Um, so there, there, there's a lot of great stuff. I, I can tell you a couple of those matches. There's a, in the 20th anniversary collection, there is uh, the artist formerly known as Sasha Banks' first professional match. Ooh. That's in there. In the legendary series, uh, Becky Lynch's first American match is in there. Uh, in the 20th anniversary collection, there's a steel cage match between uh, Alex Arion and Max Bauer that's great. Uh, there, there's just tons and tons of great stuff. There's uh, a match between uh, Finn Balor and Mikey Nichols in the, the legendary collection. Finn Balor had a, a, a very big history with New England Championship Wrestling. We were... Uh, he did not have his first match in America with us, right. but uh, he was here for a three-month period. We booked him extensively, and I actually helped get him into New Japan. So, uh, you know, we have a, a very good history with him, and he was terrific. Now, um, one another synonymous name that just uh, popped into my head was, and Unfortunately, he had just passed away around the time when I was training. Uh, the mofo Steve Bradley. Um, he seemed to have like when I when I was training, you know, I was training with Mike Bennett and those guys, and it right. everybody was like really bummed when he passed away. So he had a significant amount of influence um, in the area to the point where even Kurt Angle mentioned him in his uh, Hall of Fame speech. Uh, what would you, what was your experiences with him, and what would you say his influence was in uh, the New England area? Steve had a very big influence. Steve was one of the first people signed to the WWE developmental program uh, back in the late '90s. Uh, the late Boston Bad Boy Tony Rumble uh, was running shows at that time, and uh, Jim Cornette who was living in Connecticut and working in the WWE office at the time would appear on some of these shows. And Jim saw Bradley on one of our shows and, uh, they signed him based off of that. Um, Steve had come along once he, he was done with WWE and he came back to the area. 
Steve was kind of in a, a very interesting position because Kowalski, who had been like the big trainer and the, the go-to guy in New England, he was just about retired. He was on his in his last years of really being active before he sold out to chaotic wrestling and became just sort of a, a part-time presence in, in chaotic wrestling. Steve, however, was a guy who was fresh out of the WWE system. He knew what it was. He knew how it operated. He had helped train people as well as being a wrestler in the different developmental territories that he had. He just had a more contemporary level of experience in that system. And that's why people flocked to him. Mm. You know, if, if you wanted to get into the big leagues, if you wanted to get into WWE, he was the guy who knew how everything worked. Uh, he knew the people you needed to talk to. He knew the people that you needed to see. And, and he was a guy who could perhaps, if you were good enough, help you get your foot in the door. And that's why Steve Bradley was an important uh, person in the New England wrestling scene. I mean, he had his demons, unfortunately. Uh, he had drug issues that mm -hmm. were the cause of his premature death. And um, his promotion really didn't do uh, the kind of things and achieve the kind of heights that it could have achieved had he not had those issues. And it, it's sad that uh, it's sad that he, he uh, passed away so young and he, that he passed away before he really had a chance to really have an even more significant impact on the New England scene. Yeah, what do you think was the reason why he didn't really quite make it um, while he was under the while he was under the WWE umbrella? Well, here's the story: when he was wrestling in Puerto Rico, they had sent him to Puerto Rico, and while he was there, he wrecked his knee, hmm. and he was afraid that if he got surgery and took time off that he would lose his spot. So he decided he was going to work around it and then working around it led to taking painkillers hmm. and those painkillers led to addiction and that addiction led to even more harder drugs and more serious addiction. And that eventually is what killed him. So that's the reason. It's the drug issues that really kind of derailed his career. Oh, that that really sucks. That that is... yeah, very sad. Yeah. So um, now we you know doing research upon this, I noticed that I learned that New England Championship Wrestling had a had a relationship with the NWA. So uh, how did that come to? What was the story about that? How did that come to be? And how did it? And uh, why did it end? Well, uh, what was happening at the time, well, first of all, my relationship with the NWA goes a lot further back than New England Championship Wrestling. Oh, okay. um, I was very good friends with Dennis Coraluso, who, uh, had, along with Bob Trobich, had rescued the NWA letters from uh, vanishing and disappearing into the mists of time in, in the 90s. Uh, the late Howard Brody became president of the NWA, and Howard and I were very close. So when the NWA had gotten their brief deal with the WWF and they were being seen on WWF television, uh, 
the uh, Century Wrestling Alliance and Tony Rumble became, we became members of the NWA and changed our name to NWA New England. So I was very involved at that point. And then after Tony had passed away, uh, I started New England Championship Wrestling. And for a while, we were not affiliated with the NWA. However, I would be called upon at different times to assist the NWA with different things. Um, there was one point when the NWA's relationship with TNA had come to an end. And they were looking to crown a new world heavyweight champion. And they wanted to have a series of tournament matches around the country in different places. So they asked me, even though we weren't members of the NWA at the time, to host a couple of those matches because we were shooting TV and we were able to film these things and, and get them to them for a home video release. So uh, we, we provided that for them. Um, and then later, uh, when uh, 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 later when we were um, going along, uh, I was looking to uh, solve a problem with getting insurance. And then the NWA came to me and said, hey, you know, if you, uh, if you want to become an associate member, which we won't charge you any money for, we'll cover your insurance. So uh, we did that for a, a few years. So uh, we were involved in the uh, very notable seven levels of hate. We uh, uh, hosted two of the matches in that, in that series between Adam Pierce and Colt Cabana. And then when the NWA changed hands and uh, um, this was before Billy Corgan and Bruce Tharp had taken over, uh, a lot of the members were bounced out of it and, uh, we decided not to continue with them at that point. But uh, for the time that we were in it, we had a very fruitful relationship with them. And uh, I, I wish Billy Corgan the very best with the NWA as it is now. And uh, I, I wish it the utmost success. Yeah. So, so um, what were some of your favorite uh, wrestling venues in towns that you have, uh, that you have worked in? Well, uh, we used to run a place in Somerville, Massachusetts, which is no longer there, called Good Time Emporium, which was a big, like, uh, arcade, uh, sports bar, nightclub. We ran lots of shows there over the years. That was a favorite place of ours. Uh, we ran the National Guard Armory in Quincy, Massachusetts, which was a, an important venue for us. Uh, there was a place in, in Beverly called the Cove Community Center, um, so we had places like that, you know, local venues, community centers, things of that nature. Okay. And I know, uh, Jack Ritchie's, which is synonymous to so many, um, so I don't want to say old timers, but, um, but like so many people, like whenever people tell me, oh, you're a wrestling fan. Oh, I used to go to Jack Ritchie's and I know that place, place was like legendary in, uh, over in uh, North Attleboro. Well, Jack Witchies, Witchies was a former roller skating rink oh, okay. that was made over into an arena. And it was owned, uh, well, there was a Jack Witchie who owned it, and then his two sons took it over. Uh, one son was named Billy, and I forget what the other guy's name was. They've, they've since passed away. But they also promote, they were also the local promoters for the Providence Civic Center. And Witchies was very unique. It was one of the only places in the Worldwide Wrestling Federation territory that ran every week. They had shows every Friday night in North Attleboro, which was very unique because 
the Northeast Territory, the Worldwide Wrestling Federation Territory, was normally a monthly territory. Um, like the Boston Garden ran every month. Madison Square Garden ran like every three weeks. The Philadelphia Spectrum ran every month. But Witchies ran every single week, which was very unique. Gotcha. So, um, hold on. What do you think? So I know there's a, a New England Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame, and unfortunately, you're not in it. I am. Oh, are you? I tried. I didn't see you. I am. I must have yeah. missed it. Uh, 2009. Oh, okay. So who who are some of the names who you think should be inducted into that into the Hall of Fame? Hmm. That's an interesting question. Uh, wow, I, I I can't think of anyone off the top of my head that, that deserves to be in that isn't already in. Um, Bob Evans? I'm kind of stumped on that one. Uh, I don't know about Bob Evans. Bob Evans did, did more damage in this area than he did good. So That's a subject for another time. I'll leave, yeah, I can leave it at that. Um. Bob Evans. I know Jeff Costa is definitely in there because he was one of Kowalski's yeah. first students in this area. Oh. How about some of the names that Jeff Co- was one of those? Je- Jeff Costa was one of Kowalski's students. Yeah. And, and he worked some minor territories, and then he came back to the area and opened up his own school and ran his own wrestling shows. It was part of that six degrees of separation from Killer Kowalski of. Uh, guys that were trained by him and then went off to train other people and then those students went on to train other people and so on and so forth so okay so tell us about the last fall Uh, how did this book come about and yeah well here's the thing uh i've I've had some health issues over the last few years six years ago i had a fall Mm. in a store and I broke my right shoulder in five places. Ouch. Basically shattered it. And uh, I, I slowed down from promoting live events after that. I, I did come back and, and, and do some shows, some fundraising shows uh, for different uh, area nonprofit groups after that. But I, I didn't really run a regular schedule after that because, I, you know, I've been doing this for a long time. And, you know, I, I just – after that injury, I didn't have the same energy. Then uh, 14 months ago, I was on my way home from the Cauliflower Rally Club reunion in Las Vegas. And when I was on the airplane coming home, about two-thirds of the way home, I got up to go to the bathroom, and I came out, and I almost passed out. And what had happened was my kidneys failed. Mm. So... uh, we got back to Boston. I was rushed to the hospitals in the hospital for a month. And now I'm on dialysis and I'm waiting for a kidney transplant. So that sort of posed a, a new reality for me in terms of, you know, what I was able to do and so forth. I continued to work full time in a regular job for six months, but I had made a, a, a decision while I was in the hospital that I was going to, you know, come up with an end date and retire. And then, uh, kind of figure out what kinds of creative projects I could do that you know, would be within within my personal capabilities. So one of the things that I always wanted to do is write a book, and I was always encouraged by people that I knew to write a book. The late Howard Brody wrote two books, and while I was writing them, he would always send me chapters 
to look at and, and critique and so forth. And, you know, I had done writing of different kinds in my past. Uh, I, I wrote for a, a magazine called Wow Magazine. It was edited by Bill Apter. I was a writer for that magazine. Uh, all the NECW stuff, all the programs, uh, all, all that stuff. I wrote every word of those. So I was, uh, you know, I, I had a history of writing, but I'd never written a book. And I wasn't actually sure that I could. But once I had the time, I said, all right, I'm, I'm going to make a stab at it. I started writing a fictional story. And right in the middle of it, I, a, a different idea hit me. And that became what became the last fall. So I, I wrote that story in three weeks. Wow. Which is pretty amazing because most books take a lot longer than three weeks. Right. But uh, and then, of course, I had to you know edit it and polish it and get it ready for publication. But um, it, it was probably the most rewarding creative experience that I've ever had. Let me hold up a copy of it here right in front of my face here. So you can all see yeah. The Last Fall, which is available on Amazon. Uh, and you can also get it from uh, the NECW website. Go to necw.tv slash events. And you can buy an autographed copy of the book. It's my uh, cheap book plug right there. Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, it was a challenge. I, I, like I say I wasn't sure I was going to be able to do it. And I did. And... Uh, so far, everyone who's read the book has raved about it, and uh, it's been such an incredibly rewarding experience. Now, uh, the the main character of the book, his name is uh, Rick Pachigo. Is he based on somebody, or is he just... No. 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 Just a made-up character. I mean, there, there's things in the book that are definitely based on real people and real life things and real life events and historical events in wrestling, but they've been changed in some way, shape or form because it's a fictional story. Correct. And sometimes reality doesn't make very good fiction. You have to twist it around a little bit. So that that's what I did. And, and it's the story of a wrestler's life. And from, from stumbling into wrestling at the age of 11 in 1971, to the end of his in-ring career in 1999 and it follows the ups and downs of his career all the while while the industry is going through major seismic changes from the way wrestling was to the 70s to the more corporate wrestling that you that we see today so it is a fictional story but but you know there are a lot of parallels to to reality and and i i think that people will enjoy it when they read it Okay. Are there any other uh, titles in the future? Yeah, I, you know, the, I, I started writing another book, and I'll, I'll get back to that eventually. Um, I also do a series of posts on Facebook called Advice for Wrestling Life. Hmm. And I don't know if you've seen them or not. If you go through my Facebook, you'll, you'll, you'll see them, where I, I kind of give you know advice to wrestlers and promoters and so forth. And I'm going to turn those posts into a book at some point. Okay. I'm not quite sure when because, you know, I, I published this book myself on Amazon. So there, there's writing and publishing a book, and then you have to promote that book. So that becomes a part-time job in and of itself. 
So I'm, I'm, I'm doing that right now, promoting that, which is one of the reasons why I'm on your podcast. I would come on, on the podcast anyway, right. just to share your good company. But um, I, but I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to, to, to promote the last fall. And, uh, you know, I, I do expect to write more things in the future. So, right. but right now I'm going to promote this book and uh, take it as far along as I can take it. So what would you say is your, uh, what, is, what is your opinion on the current state of pro wrestling in general? Boy, that's a complicated subject. Um, WWE is doing well. They'll always do well. They're a huge company. Uh, the merger with Endeavor is going to make them in the long run a stronger company. They have a lot of uh, ties into movies and television and uh, all sorts of things. They, they, they've changed their business model radically. You know, they're not going to go broke. They're not going to, they're not going to trip up. They're not going to stumble and fall anytime soon. I, I really want AEW to succeed, but, uh, and, and I admire Tony Khan. I, I, I admire the fact that he's put his money where his mouth is and created a national wrestling promotion that's on national television. I think he does lack experience in in booking and promoting, and he could use the stewardship of experienced people to help him do that if he listens to them. Uh, I, I really want him and that company to succeed because it's good for the industry. Correct. And then you have companies like uh, Impact and MLW and NWA that are, are trying to you know, offer fans a, another type of product, and I wish them well as well. It's really hard for a company that isn't on network television to get a, a really major foothold. It's a, it's a tough task. So I admire the MLWs and Court Bauer and uh, Billy Corgan and NWA and uh, Impact for hanging in there. Impact, of course, is part of a TV network. So, you know, their, their purpose really is to provide TV programming for access, but, you know, I, I wish these companies well, and of course there's a, a zillion independents now in America, and, you know, some of those are doing well, well on their own to whatever level that they're promoting at, and, uh, you know, there's a lot of wrestling out there. There's probably uh, more wrestling than, than, than most uh, casual people can absorb in a given week. I mean, you can watch you know, first run wrestling pretty much any night of the week if you you look for it. Absolutely. So it's hard. It, it, it's hard to get a foothold. But you know there there's a lot of opportunity for wrestlers to work. Um, and I think uh, and on a, as a general statement, I think wrestling's in pretty good shape. It may not be the shape that we precisely want it to be in. But it's in good shape. Yeah. So and so um how do you do it? I know since. You're online. You see a lot of like the critics and the IWC. What are your thoughts on like those people? Uh, you know, it, it's hard to criticize something that you don't know what's going on on the inside. Thank you. You know, it, it, there's all kinds of issues in promoting wrestling that that fans have no idea what you know. I love these guys that say, well, I could book that show better. Let me tell you, you know, most people who've never had any experience, if you gave them the opportunity to book a national 
wrestling company, they wouldn't make it intermission. Seriously. I mean, there's so many issues involved and egos and so many moving parts to it that it's almost impossible for somebody without experience to, to do a good job doing it. Yeah. So when I see online people criticizing the national companies, everybody's entitled to their opinion. Nobody's saying that people should shut up. But the flip side of that is it's hard to do and, and, and cut these folks a break because it is not an easy job, not in the slightest. If you've ever been in a pro wrestling locker room, man, that's like you're dancing on landmines. It ain't easy. It's not. I've, you know, luckily I've had, I've been around like some very like friendly, non-egotistical talent. Like I, I, I was, a, I was a lucky one from, you know, my brief like tenure. But one thing that does get under my skin about the IWC is the tribalism that goes on. The whole war oh, yeah. between WWE and AEW for the most part. And then you, I mean, you know, Impact has their legions of fans. MLW does. New Japan does. But the tribalism that goes on, when they don't, when they realize, like, all these wrestlers are friends. They're just happy to see them. They're all, just, they're, they're all just trying to work. Yeah. They all just want to keep a job, just like, like you or me or anybody else. They're just trying to... They're just trying to live. They're just trying to work and live. You know, let them alone. There's no need for tribalism. If you don't like WWE, don't watch it. You don't like AEW, turn the TV off. You don't like Impact, ignore it. You don't have to, to wish that it goes away or, you know, wish that it doesn't exist. Because you're not talking about one thing. You know, you say, oh, AEW should close up. Well, AEW isn't one person. AEW is, you know, a couple hundred people that are trying to make a living. You know, they're trying to put food on their table. Don't don't wish them ill. You know, karma's a, a, a you know what, man. Yeah. Just you know, let it go. You don't like it, don't watch it. Yeah. So who are some who are some of your favorites on TV right now? There's a lot of them, man. I, I there's a lot of folks. Uh, you know. WWE is such a slick product. I, I like seeing LA Knight get the kind of push that he's getting because he's been a great talent for a long time. Right. Uh, I, I met him on a on a show in Vegas about five or six years ago, and I I remember when he was Eli Drake in in Impact, and what a what a great kid, what a great talent, million dollar body, tremendous promo, good worker. You know, I'm glad to see him getting some flowers. You know. I think Jeff Cobb's a great talent. He's spending most of his time in Japan. Right. Uh, of course, you know, somebody that I have history with, Finn Balor, he's tremendous. Uh, I, I love seeing somebody like Adam Pierce, you know, in the general manager role of Raw. He was a, he was phenomenal as NWA champion. Uh, I'm glad he's been able to land on his feet and, and retire from in-ring competition. He's fantastic. Um, I love Charlotte Flair. Uh, there, there's so many, so many people that I get a kick out of. Right. You know, he gets a lot of hate, but I have a, a certain respect for Orange Cassidy. 
for being kind of a unique talent. I mean, is it my exactly my cup of tea? No, but I got to give him his flowers because he's he's a a good athlete and a good talent for yeah. what, for you know the type of thing that he does. Yeah, he took a com- so took a comedic know, gimmick and just made yeah. it work. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, that's his thing, and that's what he does. And you know, of course, Danielson is terrific. Uh, uh, Claudio is fantastic. He had a match in NECW years ago. Really? Um, you know, there, there's still a lot of great talent out there. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and I know throughout your throughout your time uh, um, managing and promoting a New England Championship Wrestling, I know you've you know worked with multiple talents over the over the last two decades. You've seen like many new talents yeah. come into the business, and you know seeing them trying to find ways to make themselves stand out in a in, in a in such a unique industry. Um, what do you see? What do you think? Uh, new new wrestlers who are trying to break into the business today. What do you think are some qualities that you think that that they might need uh, more than ever than they did even 20 years ago when you first uh, uh, established NECW? I, I think they need to be good promos. I think they need to be personalities. You know, I, I see a lot of independent shows where it's just match, match, match. And the idea of, you know, a lot of these promotions aren't doing continuity from month to month. It's just, oh, we're, we're going to have these matches, and next month we'll have some different matches. But there's no storytelling, no programs that, that go from month to month or week to week or whatever. And, and that's a skill that you need to have if you're going to make it nationally. You need to be able to know how to tell a story, not just in one match, but over a series of matches. You need to be able to establish uh, a personality in front of the camera. And those are things that I'd like to think that in our, our runs on TV with New England Championship Wrestling, we were able to give people an opportunity to do. Um, I don't see a lot of that now. I see a lot of basically spot show wrestling. And while there's nothing wrong with that in and of itself, if you're a wrestler and you really want to build your career, you really need to be able to put yourself in places and in situa- situations rather where you can get those kinds of skills. And it's harder and harder to find these days. Ah, I see. Indeed. And and uh, like and speaking of and speaking of like uh, a good promos, um, well, who are some talents that you see today that are either like phenomenal promos or even perhaps even underrated promos, uh, or wrestlers that you feel like don't get enough credit for being uh, relatively good on the mic or even captivating? Well, LA Knight was underrated for years, and now look at him. Look at him now. You mm-hmm. know, he's tremendous. Um, he's he's the big one that I can think of right now. You know, a lot of people think he's trying to rip off The Rock, but no, he was a great promo for a, a long time. Uh, I really can't think of anybody else. I'm sure there are others, but I can't think of them off the top of my head. Uh, maybe MJF, who... Um, MJF, yeah, absolutely. He's a great promo. Yeah, to me, he's like a mod- to me, he's like a modern-day Gino Hernandez. Yeah. Just so he can get hit, he can get heat at just like the snap of a finger, right? Just right. like Gino would, you know, just like Gino was able to. It's just 
in a different time. You know, it's just that the times are different. Right. He's got that old school skill that you don't see anymore. And it's refreshing. Yeah. What? How do you, why do you think? Uh, oh, he he could be better. He could be served by better booking, but you know, he's, he's a great talent. And uh, and speaking speak, speaking of like that that old school uh, flavor, um, and I, I know this might this might sound a little inside baseball for like um, like non wrestling or even or even casual wrestling fans, but um, you know like we've we've heard stories over the years of like multiple wrestlers in the business who've uh, who've sort of like kept preserved their gimmick or basically stayed in character like off camera. Um, do you feel like that there's still there's that that in 2023 like with you know the business being as exposed as it is, with like industry terms being used widely, even by among uh, many casual fans. Do you think that there's still a place for wrestlers to still stay in character, like or preserving kayfabe off camera to kind of like keep that? Absolutely. Yeah. I think wrestling needs more people who take it seriously and want to give. You know, when you go to a movie, you want to suspend your disbelief. In the middle of a climactic scene, you don't want the lead character to turn and the screen to turn to you in the audience and say, you know, this is all fake. Mm. You don't want him to take you out of the moment. You want to live in that moment. Right. And you want to experience that story the way it's intended to be told. And, and, and I think wrestling needs people. You don't see that big match feel in matches anymore. You know, it's it's a rarity, and, and it needs to come back because you know, it, it, that's what wrestling is. It's it's one guy is fighting another guy who's going to win, or one team is fighting another team who's going to win. You know, that drama needs to be heightened and not diminished by making it brushing it off and making it well. You know, this is all BS anyway. So, you know, let's uh, let let's just. Let's just air out all of our secrets and let the cat out of the bag. I, I think there needs to be some mystery. There needs to be uh, a dose of, uh, of of reality, so to speak. Yeah, the, yeah. Now, at least one of my questions: Do you feel like the curtains just pull back way too much nowadays? I do, but you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. You know, that's just not possible. But what you can do is you can book realistic angles and you can treat it like a shoot. You know, you can treat it like the way that, you know, like I say, people come to wrestling, they want to suspend their disbelief. They want to believe in what they're seeing. And if you take them out of it, you're cheating them out of that experience. So, you know, I, I think wrestling needs more, shoot type angles and shoot type you know a shoot type feel that more more big match feel in in wrestling than there is now i I don't think we should brush it off and say well it's all bs anyway let's just go out there and mug and have fun i i think it should be you know let's give people something that they can believe in indeed and yeah and and even and and just like a just like a, a, a fun uh, a hypothetical scenario, like suppose suppose like you know New England Championship Wrestling was still still around today, and if you and if you had the ability the the clout to um, incorporate include like like your top five current 
current day talents that we see on TV, like mm-hmm. across all across like all the different companies in WWE, mm-hmm. AEW, NWA, etc. Who would be the top five talent that you would love to incorporate into the NECW fold if that were possible? Wow. Hmm. Hmm. All right, I'll, I'll just come up with some random names. Finn Balor would be one. I love L.A. Knight. He'd be number two. Uh, I like Samoa Joe. That dude looks real. You know, oh, yeah. when he comes out, he looks like he's the real deal. Right. I love MJF. He's fantastic. Jeez. Uh, uh, Claudio. There's mm. five right there. Yeah. Yeah. Those guys are studs. All of them. Oh, yeah. Absolutely, and I know that like Samoa Joe, like I've always, I'm always impressed by his work. Like he always, like when you go, when you see him out there with the way he carries himself in his promos, like he's just absolutely badass. Like he doesn't spare any quarter. Like you know that he's all business, and that's what right. I like about him. And also another talent that he reminds me of um, Eddie Kingston. Like whenever Eddie Kingston's on the yeah. mic, like you can feel that emotion behind every word he says. Like he, you could tell that like, he believes every word he says he says on the mic. Absolutely. He's great. Uh, you know, that that's a guy they could have done so much more with. Oh yeah. He's got yeah. that that unique kind of legit street cred charisma mm-hmm. that that they could have done some big things with. And I'm sorry that they haven't. Yeah, I know I, I love him. I think he's great. Yeah, absolutely. I know that they've uh he's currently the ROH world champion. Yeah. But um I know that he could be he could be so much more. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, they they have so many guys under contract. It, it's hard. You know, they, it's easy for their their quote top guys to get lost in the shuffle. Mm. That that's inexperience in booking that, that's causing that. Oh yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so, who would you say would be your dream New England match? Wow. Okay, I'll tell you one that I would have loved to have booked, I would have loved to create a program with this and pulled it off. And this was from a few years ago. Remember when Nick Aldis was NWA champion? Yes. I wanted to put, have a program between Nick Aldis and Eddie Edwards. Wow. Eddie Edwards has a lot of history with New England Championship Wrestling. Right. And, of course, Eddie, Eddie Edwards has had world titles. He was a pro wrestling NOAA world champion. He was Impact world champion a couple of times. He was ROH world champion. That I would love to have seen a program between the two of them that would play out in New England. I, I, I think that if, if done right, if we had the right platform, I, I could have sold out a small arena with that. Maybe even a bigger arena. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I'd love to run the Shriners Auditorium in Wilmington. You familiar with that place? The Shrine in Wilmington? No, I'm not, actually, I'm not. No, it's like, like 5,000 seats. Oh, wow. They do an MMA there. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. If you could, and this goes goes across, like, the world. If you can resurrect an old wrestling venue that's no longer around or no longer runs wrestling, which venue would it be and what would be the main event? I'll tell you what, I, I, for the last five years or so, I wanted to get my own building. That, that I would have come back if I could get my own building. Mm. 
and and the cost of it was just astronomical and and, and I, I talked to people about investing in it and and maybe helping me get the money together and I just ran into brick wall after brick wall but I, I really what I wanted to do was I wanted to create a shrine to professional wrestling I wanted to take like an old warehouse or a, a, some kind of a, a, a place that I could make like a, a 500 to a thousand seat venue that would run every week that we could produce television out of that would be intimate and a, like a really, really cool place. Like when you walked in to be memorabilia on the walls and stuff like that, and just really a, a shrine to pro wrestling, you walk in the door and say, ah, this is a, this place is about pro wrestling. That's what the, I, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to create a landmark and run off of that. That, that was my plan, but I, 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 unfortunately, financially, we were unable to pull that off. Um, but as far as what are some of the great venues yeah. that I wish that were still around, uh, Witchies was a great venue. It held a couple of thousand people. Yeah. Uh, um, of course, uh, that, that burned down in the early 80s. Rumor was it was struck by Jewish lightning, if you know what I mean by that. We won't have to go into that. Uh, um, Witchies was one place. I, I've seen wrestling in some pretty cool places. I went to the Nashville Fairgrounds years ago. What a great venue that was with the one light over the ring. Mm. Phenomenal atmosphere. Um, that's no more. Uh, I went to Mexico about 15 years or so ago. And uh, I went to Arena Mexico, and they have another building across town called Arena Coliseo. And the, the cool thing about that building is it, it's circular. So they have like two balconies, and, and it's like round. It's like a cylinder. And I, I got a chance to talk to the manager, and in the upper two balconies, there were like, like fence in front. And I said, well, why do they have the fence? He goes, oh, people would throw things. Like the heat was so off the charts in Mexico for yeah. the people would throw, they would throw like batteries and pennies or coins and throw loaded diapers was another thing. Really? So they, they put these, this fence so that they, they people couldn't throw stuff. So I, the people in Mexico, it's, it's such a beautiful culture. And the families go, they bring their little kids. And have you ever, either one of you ever been to wrestling in Mexico? I have not. It, it's something that you should try to do if you can, because it's such a cool experience. It's a family experience. They, they don't have a traditional concession stand in these buildings, but they have vendors that, that come up and down the aisles with like trays of food and, and drinks and you know, merchandise and stuff like that. And it's the coolest thing. It, it's really a, a, such a wonderful experience to see these people bringing their, their little children to wrestling. And it reminds me of when I was a kid going to wrestling, my parents taking their kids and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, places like that. Like if there could be an arena Coliseo. Uh, the Sportatorium, I went to the Sportatorium in, in, in the early 80s. And man, what a dump that place was! <laughs> I, I, I mean, heard when you, saw, when you saw it on TV, 
it looked like the most live, like the most happening deal with the Von Erichs coming down the aisle and all the girls and the way it was lit and the, the, but you went to that place in person. It was a dump. I mean, what a dump this place. I couldn't believe what a dump the place was, but on TV, it looked like a million bucks. I think that's pretty much about all that matters. But I've heard stories like it was like the world's greatest show. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Amen. Uh, yeah, yeah, speaking of the Erics, are you looking forward to seeing the, the Iron Claw film? Very much so, yeah. I can tell by the trailer. I think it's going to be really, really good. Yeah, it's yeah. Unfortunately, I did we. I did actually post a a statement from um, Kevin Von Erich's daughter, and the family wasn't really involved, right? As much, which is which is very tragic because it is their story. Mm-hmm. So, and um, have you actually ever met any Von Erichs? I met Kevin once years ago. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, I'm definitely looking looking forward to that film. And even in the trailer, just seeing that one shot of the Sportatorium, I'm like, wow, they actually really captured it. So, yeah, 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 interesting Crazy. to see how they how they resurrect it on film. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, one of the one of the reasons that I wrote the last fall was because I wanted to write a wrestling story that was true to the wrestling business. Like it might be fictional. But it's true to the business. It, it captures the territory era and, and gives you a sense to, of, of, you know, the transition to, you know, the, the corporate wrestling that we have today. But, you know, I, I watch, like, I don't know if you guys watch the TV series Heels. I don't have stars, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> well... I mean, it's a good show, and it's an entertaining show, and the wrestling is fine, but it doesn't portray the business at all accurately. Mm-hmm. I mean, what, what they portray is the wrestling business has nothing to do with the wrestling business that I was in or that anybody else was in. So I wanted to write a, a, a fictional story that is true to the wrestling business. So when you get a chance to read the book... Uh, there, there's a level of, of, of veracity in it that I, I think is, is uh, that I was pretty happy with. And so far, the people that have read the book seem to feel the same way. Indeed. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, and it's, it's interesting, like seeing, um, like, that just makes me think of like how professional wrestling has been portrayed on, on, on the big screen. Um, like, mm-hmm. like prior, like the, like the most accurate, the most, I guess accurate. I would say uh, film that I've seen that portrays the wrestling business, or at least like a, a part of the wrestling business, is the wrestler with Mickey Rourke. Um, that was like yeah. for me. That was the first time I saw wrestling portrayed, yeah. pro, pro wrestling portrayed with any level of respect or accuracy on the big screen. Before it was always treated as like a joke, like ready to rumble with David Arquette or like No Holds Barred, for example. Right. So it's like silly, silly fluff. But like right. the wrestler actually took exactly. it seriously. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, you know the, the the last fall gives you a, a pretty truthful picture of, of, of the pro wrestling business. Nice. You know, there's the character story, the main character story, and then the backdrop to the story is the business itself mm-hmm. and what it was like and how it goes through changes and so on and so forth. So, oh, I'm definitely looking, yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to ordering my copy, ordering my signed copy. <laughs> 
That would be great. I would love to see anyone. I'll send you something extra along with it. Perfect. Oh, right, <laughs> on. right on. And uh, yeah, um, other than that, um, uh, uh, Sheldon, um, any 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 other uh, things that on your mind? Anything that you'd like to say or plug or or? Um... Well, you know, I just want to thank you guys for having me on. I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to speak to you. I very much enjoyed it. You guys are a blast to talk to. Oh, um, I just like to urge people to get a copy of The Last Fall. You'll really enjoy it, even though it's a fictional story. It does not read like a fictional story. You'll 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 think, Jesus, these these things actually happen. Uh, so you know, I, I'm looking forward to. I hope people enjoy reading it as much as I enjoy writing it. This was probably the the, the greatest creative experience I've ever had doing anything. Wow! Because it's a different experience. You know, I, I when I produce plays or when I promoted wrestling. I might be the person behind it, but the moment of truth, I can just stand at the back and watch. That's all I can do. But a book is different. A book is me doing it. It's all me doing it. So it's a different experience in that way. And I found it to be just, there was no stress over it. There was no hand-wringing over it. There was no scratch in my head. Oh, my God, what am I going to do? No, it was just a joy to write. And I, I hope that joy comes through when you read it. And I hope you get as much enjoyment out of it as I enjoyed writing it. All right. Absolutely. Well, well, well uh, um, Sheldon Goldberg, uh, thank you. Thank you once again for uh, joining us on the Codex Prime podcast. Uh, I, too, will be ordering a copy of your book. I, too, would also like a signed copy, if possible. But, uh, I would love to send it to you. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, yeah. Uh, and yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah, definitely uh, check out uh, the book, The Last Fall. It's available on Amazon uh, now. And uh, as for our show, you can catch us uh, uh, Facebook Live every Tuesday. Uh, also, our audio episodes on SoundCloud, Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, uh, iHeartRadio, uh, Google Google Codex Prime Podcasts. You'll find us everywhere. Um, we're also um, you can also reach us at Codex Prime Podcast at gmail.com and also on Instagram at Codex Prime Podcast. You done said it all. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so to get it all in there. Mm. <laughs> yes. So, uh, yeah, Sheldon, uh, once again, thank you so much. Uh, wasn't even just took a shot in the dark. I'm like, oh, he has a new book. Let me just shoot him. Let me shoot him a, you know, shoot him a little message. See if I can get him on. Talk about the book. Throw in Bob's name in there. And just see what we can get. No, I'm happy to do it. And I, I thank you. I wish you guys another 345 successful episodes. Uh, you guys are great. I really appreciate you. And uh, anytime you'd like to have me on again, I'd be more than happy to come on. And I wish you all the best. Oh, thank yeah. you so much, sir. Thank you, thank you sir. And with uh, that, I just want—I want to leave people with one thought. Yeah. And, and and this is I'm 67 years old now, so I'm 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 getting up there in years. I had this bout with kidney disease and and and. You know, there were people that thought I was uh, finished, but I, I was laying in that hospital bed 14 months ago and saying, I, I cannot go out like this. I, I've got to, I'll do something. I don't know what it is I'm going to do, but I'm going to do it. So I've got this book, and we have a project, I'm going to mention it really quickly Ooh, here, called New England Championship Wrestling, The Lost Matches Live. And what that is, is we're, I've gone through the archives and we're going to put together a program of about six matches, about a two-hour program, 
of matches that we're going to, that are not available online. Some of which has never been released before. We're going to, we're going to show them in a movie theater with a live Q and a afterwards. So I'm very much looking forward to that project. That's something that's pretty unique. So that'll be coming sometime after the first of the year. I'm looking forward to that. And, And I just want anybody who's watching to remember you're never too old. It's never too late. And you can do great things if you put your mind to it. Hmm. Here you have it. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, wise words. Yeah, thank exactly. You. Yeah. Thank you, sir. And uh, and with and with that and with that, I'll say um, thank you all for watching and listening. And as always, uh, we'll catch you on the flip. Peace out, nerds. Later.